Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of January 6th, 2020. On the show today, the news and some new surveys Disney's been sending out. In our main segment, Jim and I preview what's going on in Disney theme parks in 2020. Let's get started by bringing in the man who's currently recording a series of Where's Waldo audiobooks. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Not a challenging assignment. It basically consists of me going, there he is, top of page 35, next to the organ grinder. Uh, to be honest, to me, it seems <laughs> to take a lot of fun out of the books. So I thought you'd just go by, by reading, you know, starting at the top of uh, the left page and going to the bottom right and just saying, penguin, giant suit. <laughs> Hot now you cart. see, ah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Waldo. I, and then I, you I, man, I, I should have thought of that. By the way, folks, a quick sidebar here. We were recording this on January 1st, 2020. We should be watching The Tournament of Roses, but now we're doing this, which makes me think of perhaps the most famous New Year's Eve, and that, of course, was December 31st, 1999 where there was all that fear of the Y2K stuff and the fact that the power grid was possibly going to collapse. And I came across this great story in Cleaning the Kingdom, Insider's Tales of Keeping Walt's Dream Spotless. That's the book that Ken Pellman and Len Barron put together. But they talk about Disney wanted to prep its guests, and that day they had 80,000 people come up to Disneyland just to have them ready just in case the power grid did collapse. So uh, how they did this line is they gave everybody a glow stick. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Don't lose this. <laughs> Isn't that kind of the equivalent of everybody who's in the Donner party as they're getting ready to go on the Oregon Trail? It's like, here, take this meat tenderizer. You may not need it. <laughs> Here's some marinade. I, I mean body lotion. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I think the, uh, the, the glow sticks were one idea after, should we give everyone glow-in-the-dark safety vests? And they're like, <laughs> probably too expensive. What's, the, what's yeah. the cheapest thing we could do here? But I love the, the fact that they evidently had emblazoned on all of them, Happy New Year 2000, we think. <laughs> wave, wave this if we can't find you. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do a shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers CT Believer, Emily P., and Sally in Europe, and longtime subscribers Sir Scooter, Dave K and Ray K. Did you know, Jim, when it opened in 1998, the Kona Cafe's signature breakfast was tuna toast. But early one morning shift at the restaurant, Emily and Sally misheard tuna toast as Tonga toast, and nobody knew what that was. So they had to improvise right then and there. Ray said, this is bananas. And a legend was born. True story, Jim. True story. Oh, I'm just shocked about how much I learn out of this individual segment. We're going to write a book one day just on these things that we that we know. Mm-hmm. And Jim, let's do the, uh, the news real quick. Jim, we'll start off with a Disney Cruise Line comment from our friend Allie. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll segue into this by saying I've heard something similar and we'll, we'll talk about that. So Allie writes, I recently went on a cruise on The Wonder and had a conversation with someone about the plans for the Disney Wish. So this is the ship that's going to launch in 2022. Mm -hmm. They're going to have more concierge rooms than the existing ships. They were told that the Wish was going to have 77 concierge-level staterooms. And I think think the current number is in the 20s. And that these concierge-level staterooms will vary in size, including larger rooms that don't exist on the Dream and Fantasy. By comparison, there are 44 concierge staterooms on the Magic and Wonder, and the plans for the later ships also include trying to do an entire concierge deck with restricted access and a breakfast, lunch, hours, restaurant 
in addition to the lounge. So we had talked about this the last time we had looked at the uh, the, the latest concept art for the Disney Wish. We noted, Jim, that there was what looked like an exclusive deck, right? The other thing that I had heard was that in the next long dry dock that the Dream gets, it's going to include an expansion of the concierge rooms to around 75 or so too. And that means almost certainly the concierge lounge is going to have to expand because if you've ever seen the concierge lounge on the Dream, it can hold maybe a dozen tables. I was about to say, it's, it's very, tiny. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's very small and it's got uh-huh. no um, no windows. So really small for that many rooms. So I'm thinking that what we're going to see here is a, is a more than doubling of the number of rooms, concierge rooms that are available on the Disney Cruise Line in the next couple of years. Yeah, makes sense. But we live in the skybox world, you know, and, and clearly catering to this crowd is yet another revenue stream for the cruise lines. And uh, speaking of this, I got a survey uh, a couple of days ago after my latest trip to the studios. And, and we're, we'll talk about it because it, it talks about um, Disney and income levels. And speaking of surveys, uh, I've got a number of them sent in from uh, from readers. Thank you guys all for sending them in. Our pal Kathleen sent in screen caps of a comprehensive survey uh, covering the most relevant aspects of a typical Disney trip. And here's the one that I thought was most interesting that, uh, that Kathleen sent in. She had a couple. One question was, did you pay for preferred parking located conveniently close to the theme park entrances at the following Walt Disney World theme parks during your visit? So it was uh, Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Animal Kingdom, and Studios. And the interesting thing is, Jim, the price that they listed for preferred parking was $20 to $25 per day. It's currently $50. Per day, so whoever's sending out this survey uh, needs to uh, needs to correct that number because regular parking is now twenty five dollars per day. This question's been around for a while. Wow. Okay. The the other question that they sent to Kathleen that I thought was interesting was this one: Please rate your overall dining plan experience at the Walt Disney World Resort. So excellent, very good, good, just okay, and poor. And that's interesting because, so we're recording this on January 1st. Mm -hmm. Um, Tomorrow, I don't think this is widely known, but tomorrow uh, Disney's releasing a free dining promotion. So it'll be January 2nd. It'll be out by the time the the show comes out. Mm -hmm. Um, But just covering some very restricted dates in summer. And that tells me a couple of things. One is um, if this is the the only set of dates that they're doing, there's only a a handful Mm -hmm. of dates. If that's what they're doing, then they are really going all in on that rumor that we had heard, I think we talked about this a couple of years ago, once Galaxy's Edge was fully open, they would really restrict how much free dining was available. And we talked about this on shows, oh, more than a year ago, right? Mm-hmm. But it looks like that's actually happening. And if you look at the most recent photographs that have been coming in from Disney's Hollywood Studios at 7 o'clock, in the, have you seen that? 7 o'clock, Jim. <laughs> Those are the late, the late risers. My, uh, my sister went on New Year's Eve, so yesterday, got there at 3.30. And wasn't the first person in line, but ended up being the first person into the park after that day. So she was like, I think the twelfth person in line. But for whatever reason, she's the competitive one in, in my family. Let's, let's face it; she's got sharper elbows than I do. But well, the reason I bring up the, the seven o'clock time is that that's when they open the boarding group, and there's this amazing photograph where it's all of Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, it's it's packed; it's filled with bodies, but there isn't a single person looking up there. Everyone is face down in their phone trying yeah. to get a boarding group, and it's just something out of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I've never seen that many people not looking at theming. The thing that I, I found interesting was this. So Linda was having trouble with her My Disney experience yesterday. At 7 o'clock, when the, the boarding groups opened, she mm-hmm. got it resolved within a minute. 
But instead of being boarding group one, that one minute of delay, maybe it was two minutes of delay, okay. meant that she moved from boarding group one to boarding group 79. Oh. Which tells you how fast those boarding groups are going in the morning at the studios. So they were all gone within 15 minutes yesterday, I believe. Or okay. yesterday, Christmas Eve. But, uh, but it looks like the, the ride had a pretty decent operating day yesterday. It's good they got to the backup boarding groups too. Okay, so speaking of which, I know you've been keeping very close tabs on how many boarding groups actually have been going out per day. Yep. Where do we stand now? The last couple of days, they, they got above 180 boarding groups. We still don't know how many people are in a boarding group. Mm-hmm. I think they've reduced the number of people per boarding group, um, okay. and the ride is definitely running better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the ride is, is operating near like two-thirds capacity most times now. A couple okay. days this week, it didn't have a uh, didn't have a great day, but mm-hmm. in general, like in the twenty seventh, for example, I think the ride didn't actually open till like eight fifteen. So okay. That wasn't that wasn't great. And the ride mm-hmm. is in general opening half an hour or forty five minutes or so after the rest of the park is uh, is open. So they're taking some time mm-hmm. in the morning to uh, to get the ride prepared. But yeah, they're they're they were up around one hundred eighty boarding groups. We're through the the worst part of the week now. We'll we'll see crowds through you know, the the end of the weekend. So you know this is Monday mm-hmm. that the show's coming out. The most of the crowds will be gone by today. Yeah, so overall, not bad. Okay, all right. Back to the survey then. Yeah, I do want to point out one more question that Kathleen got, and this was around shopping. Mm-hmm. And the question is this. You indicated that you shopped at an off-property location for Disney merchandise. Please indicate whether on-property or off-property locations had better dot, dot, dot. And it was uh, vacation keepsakes, uh, amount of inventory available, selection, shorter lines, price value, so price, you know, value of, of the products, mm-hmm. um, customer service, crowds, unique products, and quality. So the mm-hmm. question was, for those things, did on-property or off-property merchandise locations have better things of those? So they're trying to figure out why, why people shop for Disney stuff off-site. My guess is that it's going to be price on that thing. That's intriguing that even that revenue stream is being eyeballed. Used to be that's like, oh, by the way, you know, if you get ahead over to the outlets, you can find the stuff we've remaindered. And now it's like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> no, why don't we stay on site? There we go. I wonder if they'll, uh, they'll use something like the new retail spots that are going in at Flamingo Crossing for, for their own Disney outlets. That, ooh. Oh, that's yeah, an interesting that idea. That is, that is. Copyright 2000, uh, uh, 2020, <laughs> Len Testa Incorporated. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, 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 super listener Hunter. Uh, heard us uh, talk about Wild About Safety Shorts, the Wild mm-hmm. About Safety Short films that we had we talked about a little bit ago. And, and the next day, Jim, mm-hmm. got this survey from Disney. In the, uh, so it's a bunch of questions around how or where did you see anything about the Disney Wild About Safety program or the safety messages or illustrations about it. And it lists a different uh, set of sites for it. So I'm not saying that, uh, that Disney is somehow listening through Hunter's Alexa. <laughs> To what he's playing in the background, I'm, I'm sure it was just a coincidence that he got this survey the next day. <laughs> I'm your best friend, Santa. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. This isn't creepy at all. <laughs> no, no. Total coincidence. Total coincidence. All right. We've got another survey. So uh, OG listener Danielle sent in a tech-related survey from Disney. And we've seen a lot of these questions before, but some were newer updated. Um, and I want to call out a couple of questions that were new. One of them was, what new technologies are you planning to buy in the next 12 months? So it's asking whether you're, you're, you're looking to buy like a smartphone or a virtual reality headset or uh, an Amazon Echo or things like that. So, that. so that's interesting because Disney's trying to figure out what new trends are coming up mm-hmm. that they need to know about. So instead of asking, what have you bought? It's what are you planning to buy? 
The other questions that were interesting, they asked you what features of your smartphone do you use the most? So we all know, Jim, that nobody uses a phone anymore as an actual phone. Oh, God, no. Right? You, you mm. text or you play games on it or you surf mm. the web. Um, and then the, uh, the other question was, what kinds of things are you comfortable buying on your smartphone? But here's, here's the two things that I think are interesting. There was a question on, did you use Bluetooth while you were in the parks? Now, why would they, why would they ask that question, Jim? When you're in the park environment and you're using your smartphone, between managing your trip, as in, you know, where am I going to next, you know, retail opportunities, uh, mm -hmm. food, the quick service program, that sort of thing. Why would Bluetooth come into play with that? So my, my thinking is that um, because Bluetooth is much more short range than mm -hmm. Wi-Fi, it's used for location tracking or, you know, being very specific about where you are. Okay. Okay. And wasn't it the fast pass deck we saw back in the day where they were actually going to be tracking where crowds were within the park? And they were talking about how, you know, for example, if they saw that, that there was an unusually large conglomeration of people in, say, Frontierland around Splash Mountain or that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, they would roll out uh, entertainment. Entertainment, likewise, beverage carts, that sort of right. thing. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's from uh, that presentation. Mm -hmm. Maybe this application finally being utilized in the park. I mean, especially, again, 2021, 50th anniversary, we're going to see crowds like we've never seen before. Oh, yeah. Maybe this is, you know, something that Disney's fielding or considering rolling out out ahead of that. That's what I'm going with. Some sort of uh, fine-grained identification mm. used for pushing marketing messages okay. through Bluetooth. So there's one more question that I thought was interesting on this. And it was, um, to what extent do you personally agree or disagree with each of the following statements when it comes to technology in general? And so it's uh, from strongly agree mm -hmm. to strongly disagree. And there are a couple of choices in here that might point to the future of how Disney's planning on using technology. Mm -hmm. One of them is this. I prefer to use self-checkout registers when they're available in retail stores. So do you strongly agree or do you strongly disagree? Or where along the spectrum do you find with that? Mm -hmm. And we know Disney's filed patents before for use of self-checkout stores in theme park environments. And this is to match what Amazon is doing with Amazon Go stores where you walk in mm -hmm. and there's some combination of facial technology and scanning in where, where Amazon basically tracks what you're picking up and, and, and putting in your basket Mm -hmm. So that when you leave, you don't interact with it and with anyone else. There's there's literally no checkout. You just walk in, pick up what you want, and leave. And I've done this before a couple of times. Mm -hmm. There are so, but there are a couple of other questions. I'm comfortable using facial recognition yeah. on devices other than a smartphone. So, for example, for airport boarding, which mm -hmm. some airlines are doing now, right? So I think yeah. uh, is it JetBlue that's doing it in New York? They're doing facial scanning to do airport boarding. Um, also, um, to recognize VIPs at sporting events is another example that they gave. That's interesting. Well, the other part of this that's not listed as examples here, I don't know if you've heard about what's going on at Universal Beijing. They partnered with Alibaba, and the notion is that at that Universal Park, they are going to be using facial recognition for retail, for quick service, that sort of thing. I mean, the, the, the whole notion of you don't have to put down your, your magic band. You just, hey, your face, yeah, they okay. Just, they just know who it is. Yeah, so very interesting that, that Disney is sort of kicking the tires on that one. Yeah, we, we all know D Disney has a facial recognition system mm -hmm. that they use in the parks, and it's supposed to be very sophisticated. I don't know if it's as up-to-date as what China's got, because China's got some really, really, really mm -hmm. advanced um, – facial recognition stuff for surveillance that they're implementing on scales much, much larger than, than Disney World. 
All right, Jim, uh, another survey. Allison S. sent in a survey about the vacation booking process on Disney's website. And I'll talk about why this is interesting after I read the questions. Mm-hmm. The first one is, which of the following statements best describes the Disney Resort Hotel that you were initially looking to book? And the, the, the options are, I knew the exact resort I wanted. I had a few resorts I was considering, or I was considering all the resorts. And that's interesting, Jim, because a couple of travel agents who I'm not going to name mm. sent in to me a Disney survey asking clients why they booked using a travel agent rather than the Disney website. So what I think is happening here is Disney's trying to figure out how to get more consumers to book directly through Disney to avoid paying those you know, 10% commissions to travel agents. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to figure out what needs the current Disney website isn't addressing mm. the consumer have. So the, uh, the other questions were on this survey were, did you book the resort you were initially considering? Yes or no? Did you consider booking a non-Disney resort? And then mm-hmm. this one, I think, is the, the most important. Why did you book your tickets when you booked your hotel on the Disney website? So in, so in other words, it's why didn't you shop around for better ticket deals? Mm-hmm. So the first answer that they, uh, that they list is peace of mind. And I think this is uh, similar to the Disney dining plan. We know that if you do the number crunching, the Disney dining plan doesn't make sense for lots of families. But the number one reason that people get it, they say, is peace of mind knowing that uh, their food is prepaid mm-hmm. on their vacation. So that's literally the first answer okay. on, on this survey question about tickets too. But the other options were, I wanted to book fast passes right away. I got a discount for booking tickets. So that's why I did it. Or then to get credit, credit card rewards. So they're trying to figure out why people are booking tickets when they book their hotel. What's Is this so they, uh, they're making sure that they capture every bit of ticket sales that they've got? For most of the people who listen to this podcast, they're pros. They've, they've been to Disney a bunch of times. They, they, they know the rope, so to speak. But, but face it, there's a large part of humanity that is intimidated by the Disney. Oh, by the whole, it's, it's one of the most complicated vacations you could possibly book. Circling back to a Hollywood Boulevard full of people face down on their phone getting boarding groups. <laughs> Where boarding groups are available for exactly 15 minutes a day. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I, you know, it's yeah. just, this is why, you know, so many people, you know, staring down the barrel of, well, I want to take my, my family to Walt Disney World and all of these choices, you know, or, or dining that has to be booked 180 days yeah. out. This is why they run into the arms of travel agents. It's exactly why. So I think I told you the story. Actually, no, I haven't told you this one yet. Mm-hmm. So I was at uh, Magic Kingdom a couple days ago mm-hmm. waiting for the, the park to open. And the people behind me had just got off the plane and came directly to Walt Disney World, to, mm-hmm. to the Magic Kingdom. So like they, their bags were being dropped off by Magic Express they didn't even go to the room. They got up at the resort and walked to the Magic Kingdom or whatever they did. So I asked them, you know, what uh, what they had booked in terms of fast passes and rest- uh, restaurants. Absolutely nothing. So they were they were coming during the busiest time of the week, the, the year. They knew that it was going to be crowded, but uh, I, don't, I don't think they realized how crowded it was. And and they thought that they would just get dining reservations as they went along. Mm. Like. You have a better chance of catching wildlife and grilling it on Main Street than you do (laughs) actually getting a restaurant reservation this week. But, uh, yeah. Did you at least talk to them? Like, look, just just go back to the airport. (laughs) No, no, no. no. I mean, so there there was nothing in in any of the parks. But there were were a few things. Disney Springs had a lot of uh, lunch reservations available. The resorts were actually remarkably uncrowded during the day because everyone was out. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the park. So I suggested uh, to them uh, Wilderness Lodge. Okay. Or Trails End, actually. Trails End has brunch on weekends. 
That's which, right. That's right. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. I actually went the, mm-hmm. the day after I suggested it. Laurel and I went. Okay. Uh, and it was exquisite. I mean, where else can you get a donut bar and fried <laughs> chicken in the same meal? Oh, <laughs> you're not making my New Year's resolution easy, Len. Any, any easier, I know. It was <laughs> delicious. It was oh. so good. Anyway, another survey question. This is from the always fabulous uh, Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this was, uh, she um, went to the Magic Kingdom and got a survey about dining questions. So I want to actually ask our listeners this question. What types of restaurants were you hoping to find more of but couldn't? So here are your choices, listeners. Pan-Asian or sushi, steakhouse, Greek or Mediterranean, a New York-style deli, gourmet hamburgers, a pub-type restaurant serving handcrafted microbrews, Pizza. Like, who goes to the Magic Kingdom and says, I can't find pizza? That's that's strange. <laughs> well, again, you, you have to have the guide you, dog. You, you, you have, have to show the guide pizza? dog. <laughs> Look, <laughs> find that. So. Right. Uh, Mexican, mm-hmm. vegetarian or vegan, breakfast food, southern Italian, so featuring traditional red sauce pastas and grilled dishes, mm-hmm. which tells me that someone in, who came up with the survey did not know that Tony's uh, Town Square existed. <laughs> or that they did and didn't consider it actual Italian. Anyway, uh, barbecue, a farm-to-table type restaurant featuring super fresh locally grown ingredients, tapas, where the mm-hmm. whole table shares a number of smaller appetizer-sized dishes, Brazilian steakhouse, or other. Hmm. That's a really wide range, isn't it? I agree. And specifically, that somebody went to the Magic Kingdom and got this survey. How would you fit a farm-to-table themed restaurant in the Magic Kingdom? Are there any Disney characters that work on a farm? <laughs> well, there's Clara Cluck, but it, it kind of opens in an entirely unfortunate storyline. Yeah. You want eggs? Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, huh. Which Disney characters would you have in a farm-to-table type restaurant? Oh, God. Whenever I look at a survey like this, it's like, okay – What's coming off the table to make room for this? Okay, so you mentioned that, and that's where I was going with this. So all this week that I've been in the parks, the Tomorrowland Terrace restaurant has been closed. And that's super unusual for this time of year. Like, why wouldn't that be open? And I'm thinking that's got to be a prime opportunity. Because, I mean, they're using half of it for fireworks, dessert party viewing spaces, right? But the other half of the restaurant literally isn't being used. Mm -hmm. And we know that Disney is now willing to demolish huge chunks of a park Mm -hmm. to provide multi-story dining slash entertainment venues because they're doing that at Epcot, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They could they could demo that area and build a two-story restaurant right there oh. that fits in Tomorrowland's theme and gives you still gives you dedicated viewing spots for those fireworks. In fact, they could charge more for the second story mm-hmm. viewing areas, right? Because it's better view. Absolutely. Mind you, every so often they you know, have to clear a clear path Tinkerbell's coming in. But but beyond that, yeah. enjoy your cupcake. So but huh. wow, no, that's that's an excellent idea. And more to the point that hell, I remember back in ninety four when they were proposing building the astronomers club there, where again right. the whole notion of a theme dining in that space. But yeah, that honestly, that is one of the most underutilized pieces of real estate in the parks. And no, that would that would be an absolute killer spot for a, you know a decent a multi story restaurant. All right, so this is our uh, this is our question for listeners this week. You can uh, post it to us 
on Twitter or social media. Uh, what kind of restaurant are you hoping to find more of in the Magic Kingdom? All right, Jim. So in addition to our listeners, I actually got a survey after one of my visits to Disney's Hollywood Studios a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. And this one was huge. It was almost 100 questions. Oof. I'm not going to go through all 100 questions. I will pull out uh, the big ones here. Okay. Um, so question number 87 mm-hmm. <laughs> was, which of the following would have been your preferred choice in order to ride Star Wars Ride of the Resistance? So three choices. I prefer a virtual queue that allows me to do other things in the park, even if I can't choose when I will ride. Or a combination of limited Disney FastPass Plus selections and a traditional standby line. Or I prefer everyone wait in a traditional standby line, even if I have to wait a long time. That's interesting. No, absolutely. Which tells you a lot about what's going on in guest relations. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So what would you pick on that one? Virtual queue, combination of fast pass and a traditional line, or that everyone wait in a standby line? Because I asked Laurel this question, and I'll tell her your answer. I'll tell you her answer when we're done. I just don't know if you can make this omelet. It it looks like the virtual queue really has to be the way to go. Because if you go with the traditional line and you have an attraction like this with that level of operational issues, and you have to dump the queue, you know, two or three times a day rather than, okay, let's do a cold stop. Oh, you know, we fixed this tech. Think about just having to hand out that many, you know, fast passes to come back. The manpower you have to dedicate to this issue. How did Laurel land, though? Laurel said uh, she preferred a combination of fast pass and traditional standby line. So basically run it like you do every other headliner. But your point, with the, ride, with the ride's current uh, operational difficulties, yep. you know, where, it's, where it's not running at you know, 100% capacity, you run into that problem of having to satisfy everyone with fast pass. And then the people that are left in the traditional standby line are looking at you know, possibly multi-hour yeah. Waits yeah. to ride. Yeah. So I don't I think I think to your point, until this thing is running at hundred percent capacity and the popularity dies down, mm-hmm. um, we're gonna see virtual queue boarding groups for a long time. And I, I expect that for at least the next couple of months. I would be shocked if Disney switched over to FastPass anytime soon. No, I think you're dead on. Which is why in California that Spider Man ride can't open fast enough. Oh right. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that in our preview. All right, so one more one more question that I thought was interesting. Was this? They uh, they asked a household income question, and it was this: Please indicate your total annual household income in U.S. dollars. And there were uh, thirteen choices, one of which uh, was prefer not to answer. So twelve categories. So the first one was um, was under forty thousand dollars. So that encapsulate that that one choice under forty thousand uh, dollars. I cross referenced, uh, by the way, each of these categories with the Census Bureau's household income. Mm-hmm. by uh, percentiles. So that one choice under $40,000 represents 32% of American households. So right off the top, mm-hmm. if you're in the bottom third of American households by income, Disney lumps you all into one group. Mm-hmm. The next choice is 40000 to $59,999. Then the next one after that is up to $80,000, so sixty dollars to $80,000. That one, up to eighty k represents 60% of American households. So remember, there are 12 choices. The first three cover 60% of Americans. <laughs> Disney doesn't care. <laughs> okay. So the uh, the first five choices up to uh, the next choice is, uh, so it's 40 to 60, 60 to 80, 80 to 100, 100 to 125. 
that, those first five choices, up to 125K, represent 78% of American households. Mm -hmm. So we're not even halfway through the choices, and Disney's already lumped the bottom basic 80% of Americans into that. So so this is what it means, right? Mm -hmm. And we've said this for a while. Disney's really concentrating on the top 20% of Americans by household. And this is where they're getting super granular. So the next set of choices subdivide that 20% of Americans into seven separate categories. So the next choice is 125K to 149K. That only represents about 5% of American households. So 5% of American households get their own choice. Well, remember, 80% of Americans are are covered in in the first five choices. The next choice is 150 to 175,000. That represents 4% of Americans. Mm -hmm. The next choice is 175K to 200K. That represents 3% of Americans. The 200 to 300,000 choice represents 5% of Americans. So that's actually a fairly wide chunk. Mm. But then the top 1.5% of all Americans get their own set of choices. There's one group for 300K to 400K. Again, 1.5% of all Americans. 400K to 500K represents the top 1.5% of all Americans. And then 500 uh, 500K or one more is well within the top 1%. So, so let me just sum this up. There are as many categories in Disney surveys covering the top 2% of wealthy American households as there are covering the bottom 70% Which, of American households. to bring things full circle, and you yep. wonder why the Wish is supposedly going to have in a deck that's entirely concierge? Yeah, that's it. Wait, here's why. Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. Yeah, but it's really interesting to, to see it because it tells you – the segments that Disney's interested in, right? So my guess is there are probably different marketing messages. Oh, no, no doubt, no doubt. But at the same time, I just, it makes me a little crazy. I mean, again, we've talked about previously on the show the the, the notion of the carousel at Disneyland that Walt fought, you know, the notion of them raising the price on that. It's like, no, it's 10 cents because everybody has 10 cents. They can get on the carousel. And when I <laughs> look at the the five the five thousand K, it's like, well, yeah, that category they can buy their own carousel. Exactly. <laughs> you left. I, uh, I'm I'm told that uh, the Christmas entertainment at Golden Oak, so Disney's on-site home community, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where I think homes start at like what one point five million. Oh yes, and go up. Mm-hmm. Their uh, their entertainment at the uh, for the Christmas festival. Somebody brought in a carousel. <sighs> Good night, folks. <laughs> As one does. As one does, right? There we yeah. go. <laughs> All right. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break. When we come back, Jim and I talk about what's happening in Disney theme parks in 2020. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, folks, since we're recording this on January 1st, Jim and I thought it would be fun to take a look at all of the things that are coming up in Disney theme parks in 2020. And Jim, this includes theme parks worldwide, right? We're not just looking yeah, at US parks. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's worth noting as we get started here that there's some pretty impressive, pretty sizable projects underway at Tokyo Disneyland. I want to say, what, on April 15th, 
They're opening their Beauty and the Beast mini land. Right. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So we're we're doing worldwide stuff, right? Yeah. And the new Enchanted Castle to Hong Kong. But but it all starts tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah. Well. Well, let's let's start at the park that started it all, Disneyland, and the film that started it all, Snow White. January 7th, Snow White's Scary Adventure at Disneyland Park goes down for a five-month-long rehab. This Fantasyland dark ride traumatizes a lot of children, so Disney's going back in and putting a happier ending on this dark ride. Also upgrading effects, that sort of thing. And on the 7th also... We're also going to see Space Mountain and Small World go down so they can remove their seasonal holiday overlays. Jump ahead 10 days, January 17th, and Rise of the Resistance opens at Disneyland Park. And they're applying every lesson that's been learned out in Orlando since... uh, You know, since the 5th of December. Same window of time because, you know, that that's, uh, January is perceived as winter out in mm-hmm. Southern California. So, you know, the people are less likely to get on uh, anything that goes out and goes around the rivers of America. So this is when both the Mark Twain and the Columbia will go down for extended rehabs. Same exact day, though, January 17th at Walt Disney World, we get our fifth, or excuse me, our third annual Epcot International Festival of the Arts underway. And I think, as we mentioned previously, we get three brand new films debuting on that same day. We get Awesome Planet uh, at the Land, The Beating to Be Sing-Along, and Canada Far and Wide. And then we go ahead four days, January 21st, and this is finally when Haunted Mansion Holiday goes down at Disneyland. As well, we were just talking carousels. This is where King Arthur's Carousel uh, goes down for a lengthy rehab itself. Now, Haunted Mansion, normally what happens is there's there's like a three to five week turnaround and the attraction is then open to the the public again. And that's not the case. We, We probably won't see Mansion reopen till almost the summer of 2020 and that's largely because this is such a hugely popular attraction and the seasonal overlay haunted mansion holiday is even more popular they just haven't been able to do a rehab of size in years so it's like okay okay, we we gotta bite the bullet we we just got past the 50th anniversary celebration of Mansion mm-hmm. this past summer. And so it's like, okay, we got to do it. So this is when it goes down. This is when they do years of neglected work. And hopefully we'll, we'll see something really special when it comes back online this summer. Other thing worth noting is that Project Stardust, all of the work that had been done at Disneyland to sort of make it that much easier for the crowds that were trying to get back to Black Spire Outposts to make it through the park. We'll see the very last chunk of that, which involves uh, redesigning the entrance to Tomorrowland. They've done some of the work. Uh, they'll, they'll finish it up after the Christmas crowds go away. It makes sense. Now, January 25th through February 8th is the Chinese New Year. And Disney California Adventure, for a couple of years now, has done some special seasonal entertainment offerings in the Pacific Gardens Park section of the park. And that's right next to... Pixar Pier these days. And Disney has decided that they're going to take this opportunity to promote the Mulan uh, live-action reboot, which is not going to arrive in theaters till uh, March 27th of this year. So I didn't know there was a live-action reboot of Mulan coming. Oh, yeah. The the trailer dropped about two weeks ago. Well worth seeking out. 
I forget who I was I was talking with. They were talking about how they're getting tired of these Disney live-action reboots. Yeah, I mean, I realized John Favreau Lion King made over a billion dollars, but was it really necessary? On the other hand, he was talking about the fact that he saw this Mulan trail and he said, that looks great. That's a movie I really want to see. Speaking of that, when is Jungle Book coming out? The one with The Rock? Oh, Jungle Cruise. That is actually July of this year. In fact, hang on. Okay. July 24th, uh, 2020. And according to folks at the studio, they honestly believe that this is Disney's next Pirates. That there's potential here between Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt's characters. Uh, likewise, the setting of a whole series of films. Oh, sure. I mean, you could you could build a, a franchise around uh, Dwayne Johnson. I mean, I, absolutely. And but, Emily Blunt, too, right? I mean. Yep. But, of course, the parks would like proof that it's actually popular before they do any retooling of, you know, the various versions of the Jungle Cruise that are around the, the, the globe at this point. But hmm. but that's definitely something that's under consideration. And, and while we're talking about Adventureland, uh, late winter of 2020 at Disney. Disneyland, the Indiana Jones Adventure closes for a fairly lengthy rehab. In fact, it's been reported that they're doing $300,000 worth of rehab on the effects and that sort of thing on it. I can't tell whether that's a lot for, for Disney Imagineering. These days, you know, it's like, well, we fixed the men's room. Okay, moving on. Okay, exactly. But but Indiana Jones 5 is coming out, right? Yep, July of next year. And uh, Okay, okay, okay. And we've already been told that we should expect a significant refresh of the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular out ahead of that. Also, I was talking with a friend in entertainment, and in much the same vein as what they did back in 2008, Disneyland Park, to help promote the release of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, did mm-hmm. this summer-long entertainment program in Adventureland. Uh, it was called the Indiana Jones Summer of Hidden Mysteries. But looks like that will be mm-hmm. resurrected for Disneyland for, for next summer. And then uh, February 28th of this year, Disneyland gets a brand new parade. Magic happens. Ooh. When we say brand new, Len, we say brand new. I mean, this will feature floats that celebrate Coco, Moana, Frozen 2, which, <laughs> by the way, you know, that that's, was just talking with somebody on the retail side of things. And while Frozen 2 is doing great at the box office, merch is really not moved. I was going to comment on that because I've been walking around the parks you mm-hmm. know, the last couple of days, and it's you know it's Christmas season, so everyone's thinking gifts, and there's a ton of Frozen Two merchandise on the shelves, but I don't see many people wearing it. it it's like they've they have all got their original Frozen merch, and that's good enough. Yeah, like there wasn't there wasn't anything specific in this in this show that uh, or in this movie that they had to have. Evidently, the, the, the comments are that the film itself is fine, but a little dark. And so, you know, people are less reluctant or that much more reluctant to, to sort of bring that stuff home. At Anna and Elsa's Royal Summerhouse uh, at Epcot, mm-hmm. there's been real pushback from guests, evidently, in regard to the... They changed out the outfits uh, for Anna right. and Elsa. So now it's Queen Anna and Elsa is sort of the fifth spirit from the enchanted forest and people are like no 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 where's anna where's elsa you know so evidently this is what they've agreed to but these the characters are going to stay in those outfits till 
about a month after the Blu-ray and DVD of Frozen 2 goes on sale, and then they're reverting to the original Frozen outfits. Yeah, that makes more sense. Guests want pictures with, you know, the version of Anna and Elsa they like. All right, so I, so I think it's safe to say then that the uh, the pants and the other outfits in Frozen 2 really didn't take off as a merch concept. You only get one chance to make a first impression. And, you know, that that's the thing of people like Elsa in her, her blue, you know, ice queen outfit and Anna in, you know, the you want to make a snowman outfit. So, All right, they're traditionalists. I get that. And speaking of tradition, the character that got it started here, Mickey Mouse, finally gets his own attraction on March 4th, 2020. Mickey and Minnie's Runner will go away. At Disney's Hollywood Studios. Yep. And I'm, I'm predicting, Jim, that uh, we'll see AP previews of that the last week of February. And the reason is is that I understand that cast members are blacked out from the studios that week. Given what's been going on with Rise of the Resistance, that would be very nice. I feel like a lot of annual pass holders need to be stroked right about now. Oh, uh, speaking of which, of course, there's the second version of Big Game Minis Runner Away, Where Away for California, opening to 2022. And that project is well underway, Len. They, they've actually flattened the parade storage building out behind Mickey's Toontown so yep. they can build a brand new show building for, for the California version of that attraction. Two days after that, though, on March 6th, Pixar's Onward opens in theaters. And according to Friends in Entertainment, they've begun the casting for uh, chasing down uh, people to play the walk-around versions of the two lead characters in this. Uh, Ian and Barley Lightfoot, they're the teenage elf brothers who are in this. And But evidently, the photo op they're setting up is these two characters and Barley's van, Guinevere. So... Huh. Anaheim version is going to be located on Pixar Pier, and the Orlando version, they're still scouting a location in Disney's Hollywood Studios. And again, a lot of that has to deal with the fact that what's not going to get in the way of the crowds trying to get back to Rise of the Resistance. Then, uh, tail end of March, we get preview starting for Drawn to Life, the new Cirque du Soleil show. Right. That doesn't open till Friday, April 17th. Right, but I think, yeah, but preview start almost a month before that. Yeah, I've heard from a number of friends that really want to see the first couple of, of shows of this because there's a lot of stuff they're not sure is going to make it into the finished version. Oh, so they're going to try a, a couple of uh, different things? Yeah, so if you're intrigued as to how sausage gets made from an entertainment point of view, Get yourself a ticket to some of the early, early previews of Toronto. Oh, yeah, because they'll be trying out different uh, different acts that uh, may or may not make it into the final version. There you go. It's it's kind of like listening to the uh, the Grateful Dead record uh, songs, trying to figure out which one's <laughs> going to go on the album. The Grateful Dead, but you know what I mean. Yeah, very true. I, and then supposedly the very next day, this is the soft opening of Space 2020. It has to be by March 21st, 2020, mm -hmm. because they said it's going to open winter, and winter ends on March 21st. So it's by this date, the Space 2020, uh, Space 220 restaurant is mm -hmm. supposed to open in uh, next mission space in Epcot. Okay. And then also kind of in the same period, they have to wait for a significant amount of the pathway work and all of the construction fences that are up right now that had to come down in the Ooh. front of the park. Yeah. But after that, then I guess Spaceship Earth goes down for its reimagining is now a celebration of storytelling. Right. So we, we think this is going to happen in the spring. The Spaceship mm -hmm. Earth will be down for a very long refurbishment. But your point, I think a couple of things have to happen. One, 
They've got to resolve some of the walkway paths in Epcot. So they just opened one, the sort of side walkway in, uh, in Future World, the bypass. They just opened that a couple of days ago when we were in the park. Mm-hmm. But there's still a ton of walled off acreage in Epcot that needs to be addressed. So I think that's, we're not going to see Spaceship Earth close until they've resolved getting into the park and getting through uh, Future World. So my guess is, yeah, first first couple of months of, uh, of March. And I think that uh, they're going to wait for to close Spaceship Earth until Space 220 is open to give people, um, it's not exactly the same thing, no. but to give people something else. And like, you know, we open this and by the way, we close this. So keep, to keep the number of things sort of even. That makes sense. And, and also uh, you would come across CityWorks Eatery and Poorhouse in, in Disney Springs. That's also supposed to be opening. Yeah, this should be opening the, uh, in the, sometime in the next couple of months. Uh, and that's right next to the NBA experience. Mm-hmm. And they want that open before the opening of Cirque du Soleil because it's, that, it's on the corner between mm-hmm. NBA experience and Cirque du Soleil. It's, it's the place that people will go before the show for a, a quick drink. And it'll be the place that people come out and grab a drink afterwards. So I'm thinking like House of Blues is going to see a bump. Mm-hmm. From the new Cirque du Soleil show, as well as this uh, this beer themed uh, place at Disney Springs. Well, that makes sense. Now, now what doesn't make sense is face it. Now, you and I heard the same thing last year when Epcot Forever opened on October first. Right, we heard it was going to run for a year. Well, yeah, and and that's it exactly. Yet, just this past week, D twenty three reported that Harmonious, the big new elaborate. Epcot nighttime show is going to be opening in the spring of 2020. Really? Oh, so that's that must mean that there must be not great reaction to Epcot Forever. The joke among Disney managers, too, I guess, is that the real name of the show should have been Rivers of Light, too. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> I, was, I was talking to somebody at a, uh, at a lounge, a family who had gotten in and had never been to Disney World before. Mm-hmm. And the first nighttime show that they saw was Rivers of Light Uh-oh. at the Animal Kingdom. So my question was, you know, like, like, what did you think of it? And they paused and they said, are all of the other shows like that? <laughs> I said, no, no, they're not. <laughs> not the one, probably the worst of the four. Um, but I said, you know, the one you need to see is Happily Ever After. So I set them on their way for that. So, uh, so Epcot Forever is not doing well. No, no, that evidently oh. it surveys poorly, and and you understand the the ripple effect there. When when you know it, it's not getting the buzz that it should, it means that the restaurants immediately around World Showcase aren't doing the business exactly they right. No one's staying. No one's staying late for dinner. Mm. I, wow, that is surprising to me. Okay, it's mildly surprising. We we knew that Epcot Forever was. Trying to do two things. Number one, fan service, right? Yeah. It was to all of all of us who really like the original Epcot. They're mm-hmm. throwing us a bone and saying that here's your tribute to classic Epcot. But then the second part of it was to sort of preview what's going to happen to Epcot. So the tie-in using a whole new world from Aladdin to, to think about what's going on. But uh, that's super interesting. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I'm looking at the surveys. And I just want to caution yeah. folks that as Len just mentioned with Space 220 having to open March 21st because that's beginning of spring. D23, the fact that it said opening in spring, that's a large range of dates. That's March 21st to June 21st. June, yeah, March through June, yeah. So just be interesting to see where the opening of this new show lands. Oh, you're right. It's uh, it's just barely getting better survey responses than Rivers of Light. So Rivers of Light 
is averaging just under four stars out of five mm -hmm. on our surveys. And Epcot Forever is exactly four stars for every age group. Let's see what Happily Ever After is real quick. I think Happily is the highest rated thing. Okay. I, I got to tell you, having reached out to our friend in operations about this, getting clarification that this was the first that he'd heard of it. And oh, yeah. he was sort of, it's like, oh my God, because it's like, if we open Harmonious in the closer we get to the summer, we are mm -hmm. literally in the middle of building that island in the sky thing that straddles. Oh, right. And it's just sort of like, you know, you're going to put a brand new show in. We just cleared, you know, one clog at the front of the park around Spaceship Earth. And now we're going to have this giant clog in the middle of the space that most people travel to get to a nighttime show at Epcot. Oh, that's right. They're going to have to bring out those construction walls for that yeah. as well. Huh. Just be aware, folks, this is a work in progress and that there is going to be some pushback, you know, from the folks who actually have to get all this stuff built and ready for the 50th anniversary. Wow. Okay. So that move up for Harmonious, I think is going to be sort of the big unreported or, or lightly reported news right now that it's, and it's really because Epcot Forever is not playing well with audiences. To your point, it's pulling almost exactly where Rivers of Light is. And it, and really, there are two clusters mm -hmm. of survey results for the nighttime entertainment. There is Fantasmic and Happily Ever After, which get four and a half stars or above from virtually every uh, age group that we survey. And then uh, four stars, which is about average for um, all the attractions in those parks for Rivers of Light mm -hmm. and uh, Epcot Forever. So it's just average. Ha, huh, that's interesting. All right. We learned something there today, Jim, about ourselves, each other. <laughs> There's a part of me that I dearly hope D23 is wrong about this because it's like, I just feel for those poor guys who, you know, have to build the island in the sky and have to be so far along with the steel before, yeah. you know, even the, the harmonious opening and the original harmonious opening, you know, October of next year. But yeah. Anyway, speaking of things that are potentially opening in the spring of 2020, uh, we have the Black Widow movie opening in theaters. May 1st, 2020, they're planning a dedicated meet and greet for this Marvel Cinematic Universe character. Uh, it's going to be located okay. in Hollywoodland at Disney's California Adventure, directly adjacent to the uh, Avengers campus. And speaking of which, we do not have a firm date, uh, opening date on that yet. Uh, we just have summer of 2020, but phase one will open with the Spider-Man attraction and... The Pim Test Kitchen. Oh, the Test Kitchen. That'll be fun. Yeah. Now, the uh, the the big marquee attraction, the, the Quinjet Adventure, that's not slated for the Adventures Campus till the summer of 2021. And in fact, that's... If you remember when Disneyland was celebrating its 50th anniversary and how every park around the globe opened a brand new huge attraction. Right. This is going to be... California Adventures, huge new attraction for that time. And again, summer of uh, 2020, we have Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. That's basically a clone of the attraction that opened at Disneyland Paris back in July of 2014. Super popular. Yep. You had mentioned uh, now the Grand Floridian Walkway. To the Magic Kingdom, right. Yeah. So that's the target now, having that ready up and running by this, this summer? So it's my guess. Laurel and I uh, went over to the Grand Floridian mm -hmm. a couple days ago to see how construction was progressing there. Mm -hmm. And so we're interested in two things. One, how far along the walkway uh, and the bridge construction has got. But number two, 
where specifically that walkway is going to enter mm-hmm. the Grand Floridian. So if you recall the map, mm-hmm. you know, there's a there's a marina at the tip of the Grand Floridian where there's Narcoosis, the marina, and then what is it? Sugar Key. Mm-hmm. What's the building that's there? Conk K mm-hmm. is the closest to uh, to that tip. But that's actually on a peninsula. And so I don't think the walkway is going to go there. The closest building to the area is uh, Sago K, mm-hmm. which is closest to the, uh, and that and the main building are the closest to the convention center. Okay. My guess is, Jim, mm-hmm. they're going to bring in the walkway so that the walkway hits the convention center. Because from there, it's a covered walkway all the way into the main building. So that's where I think the, the walkway is going to go. Magic Kingdom along the lake to the convention center. And they'll probably have to build a small bridge between the convention center and this walkway. But that's going to be much easier than a larger walkway and longer walkway that goes to like Sago K or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's going to be interesting because, again, if you think about what goes on in that convention space, the fact that at least a couple of times during the day, that's going to see fairly significant traffic. Yeah, and so that that's what I was trying to figure out. And so for the few hundred people that do this, that take this walk per day, mm-hmm. how are they going to get to and from the their actual rooms? And so that, that was the other thing we're trying to figure out. By the way, I also walked the area between Fort Wilderness and Wilderness Lodge. And one of the things that we heard mm-hmm. for that was that, uh, and I don't know if this has been reported, but we're looking at somewhere between eight and 900 rooms for Disney's new Reflections. Resort? That sounds about right, yeah. So that's about the size of the, of the Grand Floridian. That's that's large. But has it been reported that they're going to do uh, overwater bungalows or cabins like they have at Fort Wilderness? Sorry, at Wilderness Lodge? The only time I heard that possibly bubble up was a, a, a phase two or phase three. Uh, so it gets phase one now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, again, you know, the, these have been killer revenue streams at both... Uh, Wilderness Lodge and uh, again, a Polynesian village, so it's not really a surprise. To pivot back, though, to Epcot quick, have you heard about this plan for the... Uh, remember those those character greeting things they had on uh, Interventions West? Right. They, now that uh, now that those buildings don't exist, they have to move the character greetings around, right? I had a friend reach out, because I guess further on down the line... These things are going to be incorporated into the play pavilion. But, you know, the play pavilion, you'd think, would be coming online in 2020. But it's still got 2021 opening. Hmm. But they, they seem to have hit upon an idea that they they want to kind of do a dry run on. And it's that you would actually walk up to the old Wonders of Life pavilion, but... Not actually go in. Remember how the the overhang outside there? They right, have- right. Yeah, when you walk in, there's an overhang that you uh, you go through to get into the actual. Yeah, that I guess what they're discussing is literally putting some temporary, uh, you know, putting some backdrops and propping in there, and create a temporary meet and greet space. Sure. While the pavilion itself is being finished up. Speaking of meet and greets, we should let folks know that they're beginning site prep and survey work for the Cherry Tree Lane project. Oh, really? Yeah. I've heard that's this is the Mary Poppins uh, attraction. I'm doing attraction in, in air quotes. Well, yeah. Um, that, 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 but this, this is, I've heard this has been cut back. Oh, yeah. That, well, I, it, as of right now, 
people really need to be ready for what this is going to be, which is basically Anna and Elsa's summer who's two. Oh, really? It's going to be a, a meet and greet. Yeah, but a, a very elaborate, you know, very well done meet and greet. But, you know, the argument, at least in Imagineering, is the summer who's has three different sets of Anna and Elsa's. Yeah, and, and it keeps the lines very moderate. It does, it does. Yeah, but the argument is how many uh, Marys and Jacks are we actually going to need? Mary Poppins, the original was made in 64, Mary Poppins returned, fine film, didn't do the business that the company necessarily expected. But it's like, is there really going to be a need for three of these? You know, that that I guess the argument is, can we just set it up for two and hope All that... Right, Jim, here's my, here's my prediction for this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, okay. You know that I've been watching uh, The Mandalorian on Disney Plus, yep. right? And season one is concluded. Mm-hmm. In the opening episode of season two, I'm going to reveal some spoilers here. In the opening episode of season two, we reveal that the Mandalorian has stashed Baby Yoda at Epcot's UK Pavilion <laughs> for safekeeping <laughs> while he goes on his adventures. So you'll find a Mandalorian slash Baby Yoda character greeting at the Epcot's UK Pavilion. Massively popular. Will draw people to that end of the park and away from the, the construction in Future World. You heard it here first, Jim. I can't reveal my sources. What's kind of startling is you don't know how close you are to the actual truth. <laughs> it's going to be. Uh, I, I got to say, I, I spoke with someone, and I can't mention who, in the industry who told some excellent stories about Baby Yoda. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't tell, talk about them on the air but because because it will tell – you'd know exactly who it was. Yeah, um, yeah. But some fascinating stories about the the depths that they went to uh, or the lengths that Disney went to to keep the whole thing secret. Oh, God, yeah. Go, yeah. But now that the, the bat-eared cat creature, whatever Yoda is, is out of the bag, the very same folks who did the Star-Lord – Peter Quill, Baby Groot, meet and greet at the Walt Disney Presents One Man's Dream at the studio. Are right. It's like, look, season two of The Mandalorian will be running in the fall of 2020. Okay, so we got we have to wait a, a year, basically, for it to come back. Okay. Yeah, but the notion is that, look, this lends itself. I mean, the, the Peter Quill thing with Baby Groot was popular. This this will have lines out the door and that we— Oh, it'll be a whole different— Different thing, yeah. Especially if they do an animatronic baby group that you can hold and it does things. That would be killer. But starting in the fall of 2020, we are going to see Disney Plus properties popping up in the parks. I mean, for example, in the fall of of 2020, we have the Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, series debuting on Disney Plus. And to support these six episodes that they're making, they're going to have these characters doing meet and greets at the Adventure Campus at Disney's California Adventure the Walt Disney World version is still being sorted out uh, because of the uh, Universal Master Licensing Agreement. Likewise, November 25th, 2020, we have the next Walt Disney Animation Studios project coming out, Rhea and the Last Dragon. And we were talking about the Paradise Gardens Park section of California Adventure. That's where they're looking to do a meet and greet there. Uh, the meet and greet for Orlando, uh, they're talking about doing something for China, but at the same time, there's been discussions about, well, do we put that in before or after Wondrous China? The seamless uh, Circle Vision 360 show opens. Beyond that, I've been told that the Star Wars Intergalactic Star Cruiser Hotel 
will be far enough along by the fall of, of 2020 that they're going to be bringing carefully recruited groups of cast members through to test the two-day cruise experience. They really, really, really want to make sure that all parts of this work before guests start getting in there. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially at those rates, you got to make sure it goes. Mm-hmm absolutely smooth and the other thing on the heels of this past summer with galaxy's edge the pressure is on for the tron light cycle power run uh likewise guardians of the galaxy cosmic rewind so i I just told this by a, a veteran imaginary it's like because it's so crucial for the promotion of the 50th anniversary that these attractions work and, you know, it can run, you know, 16, 18 hours a day, that sort of thing. Right. Don't be surprised if they are soft opening by December of next year. Oh, you think? Yeah. It's just one of these things where it's like, you and I both heard the stories about how people actually put off their Disney World vacations because they couldn't be told when exactly uh, Star Wars Galaxy was, was opening, yeah. or for that matter, when Rise of the Resistance would be opening. So it's like, you know, that is the new mantra. It's like, this thing opens on time, hell, they open early. You know, we're not going to have that happen again. Okay, that makes sense. That pretty much brings us to, I mean, mind you, both of those attractions really won't be fully open to the public till 2021. Again, Disney World's 50th anniversary. But again, there's a lot of other stuff going on at the same time. We've got that brand new 12-story DVC uh, unit that's being built next to the Disneyland Hotel, uh, 350 rooms. They're building on, on top of the old uh, on-site laundry that's going to be torn down and you know shortly, and hotels going up there. Oh, so separate hasn't started yet. Yeah, so we're going to have a lot to talk about. In 2020 into 2021, and oh yeah, tons of stuff going on. We didn't even mention uh, the hotel room refurbishments that were that are going on at uh, at Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. So we we know that all star music uh, rooms are now getting the refurbishments that are happening at movies and at Pop. Uh, Saratoga Springs is supposed to get a huge redo, and it's about time for that uh, as well. Beatrix, the sort of upscale Panera restaurant, that's right, that's I think right. might yeah. open in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Disney Springs. Okay. Yeah. I said, I said up, it's going to be better than that. I, I undersold it, but okay. Um, and also, we we should have a date for the Disney Genie app sometime in 2020. Yeah. So, uh, so we'll see about that too. <laughs> Lots of stuff to talk about, Jim. That it is. That it is. I'm looking forward to it. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's giving architecture tours of Essex House in the Marlin at next week's Miami Beach Art Deco Weekend Festival in beautiful Miami Beach, Florida. Don't tell anyone, but Aaron's hosting the after party at the Versace Mansion, which you all knew. Use the code word Aaron sent me at the gate to get in. Also, please go on to iTunes and radar show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.